back in the day, this was about $720 a month plus $90 that we were paying for her gas because she couldn't pay for the gas company for whatever reason. And so let's just call that, you know, 800 bucks. The actual market rent, had I done a little bit of research, was about 1100 for something in that area at that point in time. So we weren't losing money, but we weren't making the money that we could have been making. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Sarah Larby. Sarah, are you ready to rock? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. You look like it. Okay. Let's get on with it. Well, Sarah specializes in helping take the mystery out of home ownership for Canadians who thought real estate investing was out of reach. She's earned their trust and respect by having the drive and focus to embark, build, and grow a seven-figure, 10-property investment portfolio by her early 30s. And now we're all jealous, ladies and gentlemen. That's impressive. Sarah's goal is to inspire and train other fellow Canadians to realize their own property-owning dreams by sharing her seven-step investing process through her online training programs. Her results-oriented approach has been featured in the Toronto Star, 1010 News Talk Radio, and Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine, as well as numerous online media. She's an invited speaker at the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Investor Forum and is also often a guest on numerous North American finance-focused podcasts, like My Worst Investment Ever. Sarah is the co-host of two podcasts related to the Canadian real estate market, Sarah Take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Thank you so much. Wow, what an introduction. That's amazing. Really, really appreciate it. Yes, so I mean, you've, uh, you've done a great job of, uh, I guess, researching and finding that information. So thank you. So I started actually investing in 2013, so about six years ago at this point in time. And I'm still working full time. And like you said, hosting two podcasts. I'm one of the founders of Real Estate Investing Education Club as well. And we host monthly meetings and we're going online. So lots of great, awesome stuff happening. And so just to get that clear for the audience, so you're, you're doing all those things and working full time right. and exercising in the morning. I know, I guess before the show, we were talking about how we both like to wake up at 4 a.m. And I have a gym class I like to go to. It's called Orange Theory Fitness, and they have a 515 class. So I like that one. <laughs> Fantastic. And just out of, for the benefit of the audience, you know, maybe you could just give a, a tip or two about, you know, how do you manage your days or your weeks or your life? Is there any things that really help you, habits or other things? Absolutely. I am a big believer of delegation. So like, here's an example, you know, you're, you've got chores at the end of the day. So I work, I, after work and during weekends, I don't want to be doing chores at home. So I hire all of that stuff out from a cleaner to a private chef that makes my meal. She comes once a week, puts everything away, does my grocery shopping, virtual assistants. And I would not be able to do it without of course, a great team of real estate experts as well. So it is not just me. I am doing a lot, but delegation to the right people and hiring the right help is huge. 
You know, it's interesting about delegation. When I, I remember there was a moment in time, I was the head of research of a research team of highly qualified financial analysts. I mean, these men and women had studied at better universities than I had and had impressive credentials. And I always wondered, you know, why am I the boss? Why not them? I mean, they're equally or even some of them smarter than me. And my conclusion was delegation. And it was just the fact that many of them felt much more comfortable, you know, hunkering down to do it themselves. And I remember, you know, thinking that for me, one of the lessons that I learned early in my life is what is the highest value addict activity that I can or should be doing? And how do I make sure that I spend the majority of my days working on that activity? And I have a, a way I look at the day we people say, well, you only have 24 hours in a day. What I say is you only have four hours, meaning you only have maximum four hours of concentrated brain power time. And my trick is to say, how do I get my highest value activities in that highest power brain power time and, you know, make the most of that. And that's part of the reason why I wake up really early because I try to do that before everybody arrives at the office. And then I'm like, okay, I've got, I've grabbed my main time. So it's interesting that you mentioned delegation because I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's interesting how you mentioned the four hours and figuring out what to do, the most important tasks in that time. So if you're a morning person, definitely do not do the ones that are menial and easy to do. Save those for when you're more tired. So 100% agree with that. Yeah. And last thing I'll say is that people always say, yeah, but I'm, I'm not a morning person. You know, I, I don't wake up well in the morning and all that. And I, I have a problem waking up. And I always say, it's not that you have a problem waking up. It's that you have a problem going to sleep at night. Once you start going to sleep earlier, <laughs> waking up in the morning is not such a chore. So, you know, that's the hardest thing is getting yourself to sleep at night. So, yeah. Or if you're a night person, do your best work at night. Yep. Pick your four hours, pick your two hours, whatever that is. Well, yeah. Great intro and great tidbits from a successful young woman. Now, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Absolutely. So my worst investment ever, I will say there's, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and I'm glad that it happened because it got me to where I am today. So I remember a while back going to the bank and this was before we started investing, my, my boyfriend and I, and the bank person was asking us what are our assets and what are our liabilities. And I had no clue what an asset or a liability even was originally. I'm like, what is that? Is that a car? Isn't a car my asset? Like it's probably worth a few thousand. <laughs> uh, not, not really. So I went home and I started Googling, okay, how do people become wealthy? How do people retire early? How do people create the freedom that they want so that they don't have to work for 40 years to retire on half or 40% of their income? So then real estate investing kept coming back over and over and over, among other things. But for whatever reason, I was really drawn to real estate. And so from there, it took me a couple years to convince my boyfriend to, you know, pull the trigger and let's just go and do it and let's just buy something. So I took a second job. I cashed in some of my vacation money to be able to have enough of a down payment to buy the cheapest house that we can afford. So this was about two years in the making. And the reason that we got into real estate was because his sister needed a place to live closer for her daughter's school. Mistake number one, do not rent to family. But regardless, so we ended up looking for the property 
And we used the realtor that originally was helping us in a town about an hour away find our primary residence. And so we were going back and forth and back and forth. Mistake number two, do not use a realtor that's not local. So he didn't know the market. We didn't know the market. We literally just bought something based on location. So the other problem with that is then we went to the bank and we said, okay, we got a, a deal or we have a property and we went to our bank and we said, we want to get financing for this. The bank said, okay, no problem. That's mistake number three. The problem with going to the bank in Canada instead of a mortgage broker is not all banks look at the same things and the banks really work for themselves. The mortgage broker really works for you to build that partnership. And the bank was fine for the first one, but as, as we ended up getting more over time, they wanted more of a down payment. So instead of 20% as a down payment, it became 25 and then they wanted 35. And then at that point I ended up finding mortgage broker. Had I done that in the beginning, I would have avoided having to untangle about three properties worth to change them over. So then I didn't do a lot of research on the market. So that specific market, that specific area, I basically asked the tenant, you know, what can you afford in rent? <laughs> and what they can afford in rent, I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Let's just like get you to, to pay that per month. But ultimately I did have enough insight at that point in time because I was listening to some podcasts for a little bit and did enough research that I figure, you know what, I'm gonna at least break even or make some cash flow. So to give you an idea, this was a $129,000 house, the cheapest house that we could afford. We had to put 20% down and we saved our money for it. Had we known we, we could have had some different options of refinancing rather than having to save, essentially, you know, definitely take a step back at one point and see different ways that you can, you can make that money. It's not always saving. We essentially, gave her that rent and I'm like, okay, you know, with my mortgage, my taxes, the insurance, it pretty much covers it. So back in the day, this was about $720 a month plus $90 that we were paying for her gas because she couldn't pay for the gas company for whatever reason. And so let's just call that, you know, 800 bucks. The actual market rent, had I done a little bit of research, was about 1100 for something in that area at that point in time. So we weren't losing money, but we weren't making the money that we could have been making had we looked and seen the comparables of what the rents go for in the first place. So lots of mistakes that were made. You know, it's not necessarily that we lost money, but we left a lot on the table. And then, you know, because she was our first tenant, we didn't really vet her the same way that I would vet her or somebody now. And long story short, you know, the place we ended up having once they moved out to basically completely redo the kitchen and put about 20 grand of, of work to fix it up to make it look good again. So, you know, one of those things is uh, not everybody is going to treat the property like you want them to be treating the property. It is what it is. And long story short, we've learned a lot. That was property number one. We have 10 now. We've built systems. We've built processes, which we didn't have in the past. And we definitely do a huge due diligence on the tenants and on the screening. But, you know, looking back at it, if we didn't go through that first one, we wouldn't be at our 10th one, which we just actually closed on two days ago, property number 10. And, you know, within the next year or two, I'm going to actually be retiring from my job and I am 35 at this point in time. And I would have never been able to do that if it wasn't for real estate investing. Fantastic. And just out of curiosity, you know, now with all this knowledge, you're helping other people not make those mistakes. 
Absolutely. If I would have known in the past, I would have hired somebody to help me along the way. <laughs> and so let's, let's go back to that moment in time when you didn't know all of these things. You had read a little books, you know, maybe you just hadn't looked around to find the podcast or you saw enough for you. Why didn't you go and get some help or support, you know, compared to the people that find you now? I think part of it is I didn't even know that this even existed. I was back in the day, the only person that I knew that was interested in buying a piece of property as an investment. And you know, you hear about the horror stories on the news because that's the stuff that makes the news, right? The horrible tenants or the landlords that are like horrible landlords or people losing lots of money because that's the stuff that creates excitement for, for people to read. So I just didn't even know that there were people out there or that there were even networking clubs out there that you can actually learn from each other because the industry is not that big. Mm. And, you know, believe it or not, in Canada, anyways, I can't speak for everywhere. And, and, you know, in the clubs that I've been to here in Ontario, people actually really want to help each other. And, you know, it's not like you're because you're, I think a lot of people care more about their brand and, your, and their reputation, and we all should. If somebody tells me about a deal, I'm going to give them my honest opinion. I would never go and take the deal away from them and vice versa. Because that, you know, that goes very quickly. If you, if you do that to someone, your, your brand completely gets tarnished. Right. Got it. Got it. All right. So let's go through. You mentioned as you were going through it, some of the things you learned, but let's just kind of go through them one by one. What did you learn from this experience? Absolutely. So I only use realtors nowadays that are local in that area that also buy themselves in that area as investors. Hmm. Important because when they run the numbers and they tell me something's a good deal, I want to make sure that they know what they're talking about. And they're not just like, look at this pretty light, you know, it's like as an investor running the numbers, you're not looking at it as, as you're going to be moving it yourself. It's just a completely different way to hmm. look at it and you to run the numbers for the cash flow. And then, you know, ideally they have, so they're ideally they're investors themselves. And they also are working predominantly with investors. So that would be the first piece is my realtors now, if I'm looking in different cities, they're different realtors. Because the other piece of it too, where it becomes a lot easier is if the realtors are local and they're investors, they're going to have their own team of trades, electricians, plumbers, paralegals, like everything that you need that you don't have to go and source from scratch. I could mm. source a lot of stuff from scratch in the beginning. And if you work with somebody that is already in the game, as your realtor, first of all, in Canada, when you're buying property, you're not paying to buy it. The selling, the person that's selling is paying commissions for both realtors, actually. And might work. Let, me, let me ask a question about that. I guess from a kind of diversification perspective, it's probably important that you are investing in different areas, you know, and so therefore you are having, you need to be exposed to different agents and understand how to work with those agents. Because I mean, if you just bought 10 properties in one little area with one agent, now you're overly exposed that something could happen right there. Would that be correct in saying that? I'm actually going to disagree. Mm. And the reason I'm going to disagree because I know nothing about it. So I just, <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. So the reason I'm going to disagree is because if you can become a market expert and you really understand the area, the streets, the rents, like at some point, like I have had to buy houses sight unseen. And just to trust my team out there because I know that that street name, I know what I'm going to be able to get, I know what it's worth, and you're able to act really fast. So in this Canadian market in Southern Ontario, where essentially that's where my properties are, 
I could be, so I have a prop that most of my property is actually in a little town called Brentford, Ontario. Mm. Um, then I have property in Hamilton and then I recently bought a cottage in the Kawartha Lake. So I got another realtor for that cause that's about two hours. And then I would have somebody else for like the St. Catharines, Niagara area. But ultimately if you have more than one in a market, it's just so much easier a to get to know the market, but B if you've got something that you need done and your electrician is the same electrician for all the properties, your plumber is the same plumber. For, it just makes it so much easier. It really truly does. And you know, you don't want to be driving for four hours, one way, four hours, the other way, having to build two entire different teams. At some point you can, but when you're starting out, my recommendation is actually stay in one market that you pick really analyze it to make sure that it meets all of the fundamentals and, mm. and do as many as you can there. And another question I have is besides obviously helping you work with the banks, is there any other benefits that mortgage brokers can bring to you such as maybe they're seeing more buyers or they're seeing rent, you know, they're seeing more opportunities or is there anything that they bring besides just helping you with getting the right mortgage? So my mortgage broker, as an example, she did goals analysis with me. So originally I thought I needed 10 properties when I first started before I even bought my first house. For whatever reason, I went to a seminar and someone was like, you guys, if you buy a house a year for 10 years, you'll be set. I'm like, okay, I guess that's what I have to do. But it actually has nothing to do with the number of properties. It has to do with the amount of income that you want to have and then in your time frame. So that was actually really eye-opening when she ran through that with us and said, actually, so for me, based on my number and the income that I want, it's more than 10, <laughs> mm, mm, <laughs> which is kind of a good wake-up call, but it's a really good exercise to do because like, I don't want to keep acquiring property after property with no end goal and no you know, vision of where I'm going. So I think that was really important. And then the other piece is, you know, they really are working for you. So she is able to figure out which lenders to start with, which lenders to go to next, give recommendations of should I have a corporation or not a corporation for each property. And then they kind of just help you along the way so that you can keep acquiring and getting to your goals. And I think that's the important part versus going to the bank. You're going to have a property and then you're going to go to the bank. Like there's no plan behind the scenes. They're not meeting with you to say, here's what you should, you know, ideally look at. And if this is your goal, here are a couple of strategies. So and then my broker, she also does a lot of research on certain markets. So mm. I get access to a lot of that, which is huge. Got it. Got it. I know after the 2008 crisis in the US, there was a huge crackdown on mortgage brokers. But the reality is, is that there's valuable service. And the reason why I ask and the reason why I know is because my sister is a mortgage broker in Kennebunk, mm. Maine. Sharon Easton, sure. look her up if you're there. But I just see all the value that she brings to clients and her drive to help people who are buying or doing reverse mortgage help them get the right financing and her passion for that so i see you know that okay anything else that you would say that you learned from this yeah i mean obviously your team is huge definitely analyze the market figure out what the mm -hmm. rents are market rents figure out what the actual you know what an actual deal looks like what the comparables are of something that you're going to be buying so what are the other properties with similar footprints going for. I actually do a strategy called the Burr strategy. So that's essentially you're buying a property, then you're renovating a property, you're renting it out, you're refinancing, and then you're reusing that money to buy the next one. And essentially that's the strategy. So what I look for are market comparables of properties that have been renovated and then I have to subtract my costs. I won't go into that right now because it yep. you know but essentially it's important to know what the after repair value of something is going to be once you're done the renovations. So, and if young people that you know are, are thinking of doing what you're doing, 
want to get in touch with you, where's the best way to do that? And I'll put a link in the show notes so they can do that. But how can they, you know, I don't know, get into your online training or webinar or something like that? Everything is on my website, which is my first name, last name. So essentially sarahlarby.com or they can send me an email, which is sarah at sarahlarby.com or Instagram, which is at investor Sarah Larby. So any of those three things, they will reach me directly. Great. And we'll put those in the show notes too. So if you're driving, don't do it now. Okay. So there's another thing I wanted to ask before we move into the things that I take away from this. And the first thing I want to ask is about, if you look at real estate investing and you look at all the costs involved in renovation and fixing up after tenants leave and, you know, having some good tenants, having some bad tenants and all the other kind of unexpected costs and all those things. And then you look at the rental yield that you get. I'm sure a lot of people make the calculation wrong where they say, you know, well, I'm going to get rent of this and it's only going to cost me this every month to maintain this. If we were to look in a very big picture, what would you say is the yield that the final net yield after all costs are involved, you know, five or 10 years down the road, you've got your portfolio. What do you think that someone could earn from their real estate investments? Percentage wise? Yeah, like average annual return kind of thing. So here's a way I would summarize it, okay? Your mortgage paid down by your tenants is five to 6% on your money a year. The appreciation in some markets in our market, as an example, is about four to five percent. So right off the bat, without collecting the rent, the cash flow, you're already at 10 to 11 percent and then the cash flow on top of that. But the really cool thing is if you refinance the property and you use that money, that's money that you never had before. So your your ROI can actually be infinity because at this point I am not saving for that next property. I did not get to 10 by pinching pennies and saving it for my work and my job and my income. I took it from the property that I created value in to go to buy the next one. And I pushed up the value with renovations. And at some point you realize this is a way to scale up with, I put in money in the first property, a little bit of money in the second property, and that was it. Well, that's exciting. And I know for the listeners, you know, don't hesitate to contact Sarah and get more information on it. Let me uh, summarize what I took away from your stories and then, you know, let me know what your thoughts are. But the first thing is, I was thinking of the, the tagline of Nike, just do it. And I thought about, in this case, don't just do it in the sense that, you know, the number one mistake that I've found through all my interviews with people is that they fail to do their own research. And that's whether that's research related to the stock market, whether it's related to real estate investing. Even though you get really excited about it, take the time to do the research. Now, in the beginning, you really don't know what exactly that research is meant to be. Now you understand how to do that research. But the most important thing I take away is don't just jump into something, take a little time to do the research. The second thing is ask for help. Like you don't know what's out there. There's, it's a little bit like, you know, when I was younger and I had zero money and I was like, you know, struggling and trying to get ahead and, life was hard and I could see, you know, that just life was hard. And then when I started to make a little bit more money, it's like climbing up to the next level of a mountain and you're, you're up to this plateau. And then all of a sudden, like, whoa, there's people up here, you know, that have gotten here. Wow. And then, and then you think, but you know, still life's a bit hard and you know, all that, and we're all struggling. And then you get to the next level and you go, whoa, okay. 
and at each level, people are helping each other to get up to that next level. I mean, it, sometimes people think it's dog eat dog, but the truth is, is that people do like to help each other to get to that next level. And the further that you go up, you know, the more you, you kind of see that there's, there's a lot of help there. There's willingness to help there. And I think that that is the second lesson that I take away. So the first one is, you know, do your re research, but just ask, just ask for help and talk to people about what you're doing, what you're thinking. And you'll, you'll stumble upon these people. You know, I mean, obviously you'll stumble upon charlatans and scammers and all that you've got to be careful for of. But the point is by asking and, and expressing what you're working on and all that, you start to find that there are people out there that can help. And that, really is what can help us all to avoid our next mistake. Anything you'd add to that? Yeah, 100% agree. The only thing I would say is careful that you don't have that analysis paralysis. So do your research, but make sure that you're not sitting here on your butt five years from now still doing research. Do enough research, feel comfortable, get the right help, get your right team, and then just go ahead and do it and trust that you've done enough research once you've done it. Because there's a lot of times I'm seeing and I'm hearing you know what, I should have done something 10 years ago and I've been reading and analyzing and analyzing nonstop, but I've never had the courage to do anything. Unfortunately, in this game, real estate specifically, it is about time in the market, not timing in. So not timing it specifically. So just do your research, jump in, get your team and keep learning along the way. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to the concept that, you know, just accept the fact that you are going to make some mistakes, you know, by listening to this podcast, you know, you can check off some boxes that you try not to make the mistakes that Sarah has made, but generally you're going to make some mistakes. So don't get paralyzed by it. So don't just do it, but then do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So based on what you learn from this story and what you've continued to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Just take that man or woman who's was at that point in time. What would you advise them to do? Just one action. I would say find a networking group that's real estate investing specific. That's what you want to do. And that's the route you want to go to and attend, join and attend and network and get your circle around you of people that are doing what you want to do. And those that are talking to you and saying, you're crazy, don't do it. If they're not where you want to be, don't listen to them. Go and, and network with people that you want to be like, that you want to learn from and, you know, create that, that circle around you of those like-minded people. I love that. Just love that. The thing it reminds me of, I, I joined a group and I paid to take this course, how to create awesome online courses by a guy named David Seitman Garland and really great guy, highly recommend him. And when I joined the group and in the Facebook group, everybody's talking and, and people are going, my friend told me to do this and my friend told me to title it like this and all that. And David would come in. So how many million dollars has your friend generated in an online course? Oh, well, they never made an online course. And he's like, follow the system. You know, follow what I tell you to do. I've generated more than $5 million of online course revenue. It worked for me. And so follow, you know, get advice, follow the people, but follow people that are where you want to be. So, all right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? So depending on when this is going to air, my number one goal is actually I'm reducing my, my job hours either to part-time or to not many at all because I really just, I'm not working to make money anymore. And I'm working because I love the environment. I love the job. I love, you know, the, the team and I have a great boss. 
but you know, I'm at the stage where I can start taking some of my time back. So that's my goal for this year, actually. <laughs> that's beautiful. And for the listeners out there, you can do it too and learn from Sarah. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning to find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit my worstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Sarah, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I also want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones to come on the show and share some of the mistakes and frustrations that you've had in your career. I just want to say congratulations that you've taken your worst investment ever moment and turned it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Guys, take action, learn and take action and reach out to people that are doing it around you. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me, Andrew, on your show. It was a, a pleasure. And, and guys, you know, the, the world, there's ups and downs and up and downs and pick yourself back up and just keep going. Right on. Well, fantastic. And you're a great role model for a lot of young people. So thank you for coming on the show. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.